Episode 12 is bringing us a very special treat. Talking to Ron Clifford is an opportunity every creative person should make time for. Award-winning photographer, encourager, mentor, and educator, Ron is our first Inspirologist. Easy for me to say. Ron, thank you so much for coming. Uh, I really appreciate you chatting with us tonight on the Expressions Podcast, episode 12. And um, the reason I wanted you to be here is I know you in a different capacity than some of the other people who may follow you. You've helped me so much with, uh, you know, just simple tips for improving the camera that I use to uh, stay motivated. And what are the three things that I'm trying to achieve with Day Tripper and all these conversations that we've had over the years. Yeah. So I appreciate you so much. And I'm really excited to let my friends Ryan and Aurora meet you and appreciate you to that level as well. And of course, all the viewers that we have all five viewers of ours. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say 500, but it just, it stopped there. But It's getting there. <laughs> it, it's, it feels great. Actually, we're getting a lot of really positive feedback and I appreciate everybody who does watch. Um, the current episode actually that's airing tonight is with Amina Muhammad, who uh, is a friend oh, of ours. Amina, yeah. Amina's amazing. So I'm really excited to see what people say about that show too. But um, doing the show has been a lot of fun for us. And before we get to our conversation, the meat and potatoes of our show, so to speak, I want to see how Ryan and Aurora have been doing. Oh, there goes oh. Dixie. There <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, just like a bullet. I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing to do with YouTube. Nothing at all. <laughs> Sorry. Ryan, man, how have you been? I know we have some big news in the retail world. We all kind of work in that retail vibe. Um, how are you handling it? What's going on with you in your world? I'm excited, man. I'm going back to work this week. So uh, when this is airing, I will have been at work, hopefully still at work if everything uh, stays on the up and up. But everything's going good, man. I'm happy to be back on Expressions. It's been a couple of weeks. I've missed you guys. I know. I, I miss you, you too. I, I, but, you know, you did beat the Leafs. I mean, you did, but your team that you're following, <laughs> beat the Leafs, uh, so that was worth missing the show for. And you know, hundred percent. We even said it the week before you had to go for a drive with your wife, and I completely respect that because there's a very good likelihood that after this show, Shelly and I are going to be going for a drive. So we do it often, and it's a real soul saver. And I'm, and I hope you had a great time. Hundred percent. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Aurora, how have you been? I, I didn't see you for a while either. Yeah, yeah. I've been um, I've been doing great. Uh, been busy at work with my new store in Woodbridge. It's a gorgeous store. I think I mentioned this last week. Um, new design, uh, very beautiful. The drive isn't too bad either. It's like 30 minutes away from where I live, which is also in Newmarket, fun fact. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm loving it. I'm excited to get into this conversation today to talk to Ron. Um, I've heard a lot about Ron from Brian. Um, I gush. So, yeah. Uh, so excited. <laughs> so thanks um, for coming on, Ron. <laughs> I'm happy, happy to be here. Well, let's start talking to you a little bit more. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I've known you for a while. Um, a fun fact is when this show airs is June 28th. Uh, June 28th, you and I spent, was it 2014 together when we did the Google Photo Walk in Toronto? And yes. it was such yeah. an important day because June 28th is my birthday. And, yes. you know, on my birthday, I'm hanging out with some super talented you and Don and so many other, Elena and um, some of my friends were there. And like, we just had this really great group of people wandering the streets of Toronto. I made some really cool shots. Um, what happened with Google Plus? I mean, that was a big deal for us for a while. <laughs> well, Google Plus was a fantastic place if you were a photographer. Yes. <laughs> If you did just about anything else, aside from maybe some tech groups, it didn't gain traction. Google Plus was phenomenal. Uh, it was actually, I consider it my first social network. I had been encouraged uh, as uh, 2011, I was recovering from debilitating mental illness. Um, and I was kind of really coming out of it around 2011. I had embraced the camera again. I was starting to do teaching. I was I was uh, doing a lot of photography and a friend of mine said, Ron, you just got to get your work out there. Like put it out on social media. But I, I had a Facebook account at the time and I had like five people, like my family, right. was on Facebook. That was my whole world on social media. And uh, somebody sent me this invite to Google plus and, and I, I responded to the invite and, 
And so when I joined, I mean, I automatically was following them and there was me. So in my world, there was two people on Google+. Plus. <laughs> so my social media world had grown by one more person. But <laughs> what happened was they they shared the work of somebody else that they admired. And and suddenly my world on Google was the three of us. And then then that person shared work from somebody they admired. And, and then this started happening a lot. And then we started to share multiple people. So we started to share what we were interested in. And my circle began to grow. And as I shared my work, in, in a short period of time, my following grew. And so this was the magic of Google+. Plus. We, we had to join with our real name and our real avatar. And we had an accountability to each other. And the platform grew by organic sharing. That was what we did. And so we shared content and we had conversations. And uh, I found my people. Uh, Brian, yeah. you and I knew each other, sort of. Well, through the store. You know, through, through the store and, and kind of knowing of each other. But we didn't really connect until Google Plus happened. I mean, think about the relationships that have developed. Uh, people like Don. I mm -hmm. interviewed him just this week, this past week, um, sorry, last week on uh, for my community on YouTube. For his uh, new macro book. Celebration of his new macro book, which Incredible is book. outstanding. Like, yeah. honestly, he never holds back and he didn't hold back. And he produced what I consider the best book on macro I've ever seen. Excellent. So fully endorsed, but guys like that. And then, you know, the, the, uh, we did the Google plus photo walks in the early days. I did like, like 13 photo walks a year. Hmm. And, uh, the photo walk you're talking of, was that one where Don had his four by five camera or a panoramic view camera? So he always brought something unique. Anyway. Always had something different. He had the, um, the filters, the infrared filters and the, the, so, the, yeah, mil the, the mirror infrared. filters and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Always something interesting. But so Google Plus grew, and uh, I learned that I I really engaged with my audience there. Before I was uh, a verified user, I had grown an organic following of about 40,000 people, which was completely different to anything else I'd experienced in, in the world. I thought, what is, what's happening here? Like, I didn't really get it. And then about a year from that time, I had gained my following to nearly a million, became a verified user, and then grew to almost three million before they closed. If you ask me why it why it went down the tubes, they dismantled it. Yeah. And they didn't give it the time it needed to mature. So they were trying to rush a product to compete with Facebook. And uh, that was one of their first mistakes. They didn't need to compete with Facebook. They just needed to create a great product. Yeah, and that's why I was Which they had. It. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the photography had it, they had it in it. spades. The images looked incredible. The um, yeah. the way you can create it, communities was different. With a clean well, interface, no advertising. Yes. Organized groups. They had, and then they introduced Hangouts, which now is it became YouTube Live, like it became live streaming. Like yeah. we were pioneers of live streaming. We didn't even know it. What were you yeah, saying? Right? Sorry, fault, I was going to say, was it a fault of it being dismantled or was it more so the popularity wasn't there? Because I did hear you mention that with the photographers that so, really took off. But I, I think they weren't patient with the platform that popularity mm -hmm. would have gained traction over time. But they were trying to rush their version of a product. And they thought because people didn't gravitate to a well-integrated product, events, hangouts, communities, groups, pages, it was integrated. It was it was what Facebook's given us now. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the product, but it was easier. It was it was way easier. I mean, I did a show uh, for a few years using Google Hangouts, where myself and my friends would meet, we'd talk, and as soon as we were done, we hit end, and it would upload straight to YouTube. Now, then it's on um, YouTube. Yeah. I mean, Streamyard is doing that, but that's obviously a paid service, or you have yeah. to use OBS, or you have to use all these other streaming options these days to integrate and do all that, which is so much more convoluted. Um, when we went to um, lockdown the first time, everybody migrated to the internet. We were trying to figure out this whole connection. I mean, I was doing the online chat trying to explain to people, how do you connect to the internet these days? You know, it was yeah, a lot yeah. of people were confused. And it would have been so much easier if that had just stuck around. But it didn't. So one thing that Hangouts did is, is while they were for terrifying for people at first when you would join a Hangout, they would quickly get over it. And it built a connection to people that I've never seen since. And so I know personally, 
hundreds upon hundreds of people around the world that I could go today and visit and have, I've you know, in real life. You know, I've been involved in things like the, the Trey Ratcliffe tours around North America. I was, you know, in his first three cities as a, an ambassador, you know, as we launched the Arcanum. Like all these things took off because of the tools, the, the integrated tools of the Google platform. So um, they, made, they made some mistakes, but I think they weren't patient because one of the problems was Facebook, even today. How many people do you talk to love Facebook? I, I can't count love? one. <laughs> I can't get yeah. one. Love I, I have a whole community. I have a, a whole community of learners on a separate platform. The reason we have it on a separate platform is they all said to me, "No, we don't want it on Facebook." We and yet, I was just we locked out no of ads. Facebook for three days, yeah. and I, I was going I crazy, terrifying. Uh, right? It was. Yeah, it was like my whole world was disconnected. Yeah. But if we had the the better platform, still, that would be so much better. But speaking of the better platform, and you mentioned the Arcanum. This is kind of getting to the to what I really wanted to get into, um, how you are more of a mentor and an educator yeah. and an inspirer. Um, you also mentioned about back in 2010, you were having some mental health issues. How does the getting over mental health issues translate into you becoming an inspirer and being somebody who people go to who, like for me, for example, um, we've had conversations. I've had my own uh, stressors and anxieties, and you you through one simple conversation, you're able to put things out in a way that just gives a little bit of confidence, a little bit more um, belief that, that something can be done, you know, so that you can get over it. How did that transition from you being in such a hard place to joining this platform and leading this Arcanum? And this is a global, like we, I can't understate it. Trey Ratcliffe is a, is a major player in photography and the Arcanum was a global thing you were touching people all over the world and helping them with yeah. their photography and it wasn't just english speakers it was whomever wanted to learn photography you're able to inspire in that way how did that it's transition another work? yeah first of all it's another platform that had insane potential but um execution was complicated and so well well i worked hard with with trey and the team for for many years he eventually retired it because of a scalability issue but it wasn't that it wasn't a fantastic idea. It was an incredible idea mm -hmm. and, and remains an incredible idea. And I, I mentor to this day on a platform modeled much like the Arcanum. Um, to answer the question, my first question is how much time do we have? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. A, <laughs> Just about oh, an hour. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll, I'll keep it as brief as possible. So um, through the 2000s, I came to terms with um, uh, receiving an accurate diagnosis for being uh, bipolar, bipolar two disorder. And I had really hit a wall uh, in the early uh, to mid 2000s. I, was, I wasn't doing well at all. Um, and uh, it, it, it came to a, I don't know the term, like, like sometimes words come easily to me, sometimes they don't, but when I think about that time, they don't. <laughs> Um, it came to a crisis. And, and what I'll say is that um, I had a decision to make. At least I believed I only had two choices, and one was to uh, take myself out or check myself in. And I chose to check myself in. I asked mm -hmm. my wife to take me to the hospital, and I, I began a, a slow process of mental health recovery. And in the hospital, I was given an accurate diagnosis of bipolar disorder, a handful of pills and um, some time to recover. And uh, the interesting thing that happened with an accurate diagnosis and, and proper treatment was my head and thinking be, started becoming clear pretty quickly. Uh, for the first time in many years, I was thinking more clearly than I ever had. And I remember in the hospital, my wife sat down beside me one day she came to a, a visit. <laughs> she came for a visit. She, don't tell the people at the hospital. But we had a little, my little Maltese, our little therapy, family therapy dog. We got her as family therapy dog because we'd been through a lot of trauma as a family. So little Toto was was a little little tiny Maltese, and at the time Toto fit inside her purse. Oh. And she <laughs> snuck her into the mental health ward, <laughs> and uh, we had a little family visit, and she pulled pulled the dog out for me. That's so perfect. Oh, it was unbelievable. It's amazing. But when she sat, 
what a critter can do. I mean, Dixie oh, just jumped on my lap right here. And yeah, I mean, it's just such a, an important thing. People, oh uh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, so so that was wonderful. Toto was a wonderful girl. She passed away a couple of years back. But um, at the hospital, my wife said to me, Ron, when were you happy? And, and you know, you, you think I would sit back and kind of wax about that and think about it, but I didn't. I said, imme like immediately, I said, when I was photographing, when I was teaching, and when I was retouching. And then the most amazing thing happened. She, she said, then, hun, whatever it takes, that's what you're going to do. There you go. And so I had support and permission from her and from within myself to do the thing that I can't help but do. I have a sign. Where, which hand is it? Here it is. That says, do what you can't help but do. It's a little fuzzy right now. But it says, do what you can't help but do. And for me, I leaned in to my gifts as a teacher, a photographer, a mentor. I owned that. I began to own that. And um, I think one of the greatest things that I could do is help somebody else succeed or reach their potential. And I can't help but lean into somebody when they are leaning in to me to move forward. Like you've said, like you were, you were struggling with this thing and I may have given you those three points. You know, here's three particular things, right? I just automatically warp into, into the guide and it took me a while to own that. It wasn't, it wasn't natural to, oh. to take that title onto myself. That was very intimidating in the beginning. Yeah, um, I hear you. Uh, it's intimidating to take on a title of self-importance, I guess, right? Somebody who, who has the ability to influence and to, I, I, I actually, one of the questions I had for you tonight was, uh, I never call myself a photographer. I, I just feel weird calling myself a photographer. I feel photographers are like you. You sell your work. You sell your art. You are a photographer. You make images that you can put in books and, you know, you're published and you've won awards and you're a photographer. Aurora is a photographer. Uh, me, I find myself more as an educator or as um, uh, just somebody who's trying to help other people be better photographers. So I, I, I struggle with that. Am I a photographer? Is that something I should take ownership of? Um, like everybody has, a different I think, I think I know what our, courage. when we're allowed to meet in person again, Brian, I think I know what the first thing we're going to talk about is how to get you to take ownership of the title, because you know, you're a teacher and you can't teach photography without knowing photography. Thank you. He beat me to it. He beat me to it. <laughs> Shelly got on my case. I said it when I was talking with uh, another gentleman, Brendan, he was a guest on our show a while back. I was a guest on his show just a week or so ago. And I mentioned like, I don't see myself as a photographer. And afterwards, Shelly and her mother were quizzing me. How do you not call yourself a photographer? That's what you do. And it's just this, it's this mindset, right? Like, and this is where you were coming from. So I'll show you this. This is what happens to me. Like when I heard you talk, I immediately began going into the relate image bank. How can I relate? How can I relate? I'm a relator. And, and what I thought about was the saying, uh, I say that perception is nine tenths the law. And your perception of what a professional photographer is keeps you from claiming that title. Yet there are, there's a vast umbrella for all kinds of photographers. You're not me and I'm not you. But I'd say with 100% certainty, you are a photographer. Then I'll believe it. Because <laughs> if you say it, I know it's true. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, photography is so broad, as you say. There's so many different facets and avenues. Where do you gravitate? What do you enjoy most? I know you like nature, and but like... You've, you've gone to Antarctica, you've done yeah. some amazing, you've gone to some amazing places. Bucket list number one, what is your dream photography gig? Um, oh man, I would, you know, six years, seven years ago, I would never have said, I, you know, going to Antarctica. Antarctica gripped me. It is, it's the most, it, while it's the highest, driest, coldest, windiest place on earth. Hmm. And it is the last vestige of true wilderness in the world. And it, it, it brings people to tears just looking at its majesty. Television can't give you the experience. Only being there can. 
So that, that ranks way, way up there. Polar expedition generally. You love the cold. Yeah, is there something about extremes? You know, it might have to do with my, my unique bent living with extremes <laughs> in character and, and mood, but um, polar travel to extreme environments helped regulate extremes in mood. And that was a, that was a byproduct I wasn't expecting. Hmm. Yeah. So what happens is from the time I, I leave this house to go on a trip, let's say I'm going to Antarctica. So I'm anticipating three to five days of travel uh, to get to the ship and then to Antarctica. Uh, from the time I leave the house, I have lost control of my life. Getting to the airport on time, getting through customs, getting on the airplane, not crashing, making mm -hmm. connections, getting to hotels in strange places with foreign languages, uh, getting to the bottom of South America, getting on the ship, orienting, and then crossing the roughest sea on earth to get to the most beautiful place on earth means I have to lose control. And that's not a bad thing because what that forced me to do was to let go and live in the moment. The only thing I have is the moment. And when you understand you only have the moment, that like yesterday kind of fades and, and tomorrow can't be planned upon. For me, it brought health and healing. Hmm. So we need to all go on an Antarctic cruise. Well, that cruise? would be nice. Somebody say cruise? <laughs> we, we do need to learn the lesson that, that, and photography is great at this, at focusing our distracted mind into the moment. I think, I, I bet you 98% of the photographers I know have an issue with distractibility. Well, let's pull the room. I do. Who else? You're laughing, Aurora. I'm not a photographer, yeah. but yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think this piece of advice is really great. Like, I've, um, I've struggled with mental health myself. One of the reasons why I'm so involved in the Henry's Foundation, which is a mental health uh, charity that Henry's yeah. launched um, is because I've struggled with it. And uh, from a relatable point of perspective, my, about four years ago, it's almost the anniversary, four years ago, my um, younger sibling uh, had a manic episode um, and was diagnosed with bipolar. And uh, although it was not me personally experiencing it, seeing someone who, had been so close to me, uh, go through something so difficult, um, and uh, still continuing to go on this journey. Um, I, I feel like uh, this kind of advice would really help someone who's struggling. So focus in yeah. on the moment, focus in on now, um, and try not to uh, worry about you know what the future holds what uh you know the past was um mm, the past I, is a killer yeah mm. yeah i like i'm i deal with anxiety and for me thinking about what i've done in the past the mistakes i've made in the past uh often gives me anxiety in certain situations so um is a really great piece of advice and i admire you for sharing this story because it is a it is a very difficult thing to share, um, but it also, in the long run, I think will help a lot of people. The more you share, the more the stigma is uh, brought down, the more people that will find the help that they need um, and talk to the people that they need to. Um, Be okay doing it. You know, yeah. no, it's not just them. So many people, that, yeah. it's very much like, how I felt when lockdown first happened is I felt like I was failing because I wasn't working and I wasn't doing things. And I had to let that go. I had to be just, this isn't a me thing. This is everybody. And when it comes to mental health, it's everybody. It's the human condition and each person deals with it differently. And, um, 
little things like this could certainly make a difference for a lot of people. Did you feel that you had um, feedback through the Arcanum and through the other mentoring you've done that have helped other people with their mental health issues? Sorry, Aurora, yes. Pausing for a second, I know a little bit about when you guys are talking about the Arcanum because Brian got into it, but for the people who are listening and probably Ryan, um, uh, who might not know what the Arcanum is, uh, could you please describe sure. what it was or what it is? Ron, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So the Arcanum is an education model built on, and Arcanum is a kind of a play on the, the word arcane or ancient. The Arcanum was built on the idea of, of the ancient method of learning between master and student, mentor and mentee. And so what would happen is a master of a, a genre or a style or, or teaching photography would join as a mentor, master mentor, and would take on up to 20 students in a cohort. And through a leveling guide, help them level up their skill increment by increment to making transformation in their images. And it's a, it was a brilliant, brilliant model, and it still works. I still use it today. I believe that true change in life doesn't happen in monumental steps, but in incremental moments. And so when we build incremental moments, one on top of the other, over time, when we look back, we see the monumental change. And so the Arcanum built that platform that allowed the master to invite students to be mentored on an education platform in photography. Okay. That's what I found so interesting about it too. Um, the first master that I was paired up with was a boudoir photographer who I Jessica, thought, no? yeah, Jessica yeah. Lark, that's right. Um, a phenomenal photographer and very uh, passionate about making sure that her cohort was active and enjoying what she was doing. It, the problem was I'm, I'm not ever going to do boudoir photography. It's just not my bag. Yeah. So I switched over to Don as a, as a master, Don Kamarechka. So he was the cohort master and uh, uh, Mark and I were both in that. And it's unfortunate Mark isn't here today because he was coming back from Thunder Bay to Bradford. Yeah, I was looking forward to saying hi to Mark. <sighs> I know, he says hi for sure. Um, but uh, he's in transit and without internet right now, so he wasn't able to do the show tonight, but he wished us luck. Uh, but he was also a big part of my social, um, my mental health, I should say, uh, back in those days for, you know, as a creative, I don't know if I'm any different than anybody else, but I feel like I'm very open to suggestion. I'm very open to change, um, like change at work, change in art, change in what I shoot, change in the camera I use. I don't really care. I like it. I kind of enjoy a little bit of change. But at the same time, things can just get so overwhelming and so crazy. Um, and sometimes some of the things that people say that I'm trying to receive aren't received the right way or whatever. And Mark being there with me was that guy that said, no, Brian, you know, you are okay. You can still do this and gave me confidence back. And that's a big reason why he's a co-host these uh, with oh, us great, great. because he is so helpful to me as a, a mental health human. <laughs> he's just a good guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So no, I really I enjoy the time I spend with Mark on photo walks and different meetups and things. Aurora, I want to kind of get back to this. Uh, you're sharing from your perspective uh, with anxiety and your experience with uh, the, the person with bipolar. It, it's not, when we suffer mental illness, everybody around us is involved in that journey. We, we don't do it, it's not an island. And so you were deeply affected by that. And, and I know that my entire circle was affected. My family was deeply affected. In fact, my strongest supports today were some of the people that were most hurt by my uh, behaviors, my undiagnosed behaviors. And so we all are affected, but the, the, the most important thing that happened was that accurate diagnosis, because when we understand why we do what we do, however, it doesn't make sense to us, however much it, it, it doesn't make sense, why, why these things are happening. Once we, we have a, a diagnosis, we can investigate and understand our behaviors and seek this, the support we need, the right support that we need. And that begins the turnaround. To me, anyway, in the, the mental health uh, journey, I don't want to diagnose for anybody or give anybody else prescriptions, but for me, it, it was the real turnaround 
the accurate diagnosis, being able to look at what this was doing to me, and then having an effective plan for treatment and putting supports in place. And so for you being a supportive person in the impact zone of somebody with mental illness would have been really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was a difficult time to go through and, and uh, witness, uh, obviously, yeah. uh, someone so close to me. Uh, but uh, Jace had a very similar uh, experience you did and um, finding the right diagnosis, getting on the right medication, getting in, uh, you know, the the right hospital because there was a lot of bouncing around to different yeah. hospitals. Uh, there was a couple that refused to care for uh, for Jace at the time because yeah. they didn't believe it was something worth treating. Um, and uh, it was it was hard to see that. However, Jace had a very similar perspective once things leveled out um, and how they were able to get back and become even better than they were for years um, is a huge thing. Although it's a journey, yeah. like it's a journey. There, there's never, <laughs> there's still going to be bad days. There's still going to be, even with my anxiety, there's still, you know, tough times. Um, yeah. uh, but going through something like this, uh, you know, uh, even in the experience of dealing with anxiety to an extreme limit, um, I had a point where I was just like fight or flight constant um, a few years back. And uh, once you, uh, reach out for the help that you need. Like I, I did therapy and that kind of thing. You get these like tools, you get these coping mechanisms yes. that yes. help you through the day and actually later on prevent it from even happening by yeah, you know, you can, just changing you can your behaviors. Almost jump ahead of it. You see it coming, you jump ahead of it. Yeah. I, had a, I had a doctor say to me early in my, my seeking help, before I had the diagnosis, they said to me, Ron, you have no coping skills whatsoever. <laughs> And I, I, I looked at them and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I have alcohol and avoidance. And they, were, they were working <laughs> for me. Then. Of course, they don't use those skills anymore. They were very poor coping skills that led to, to uh, devastating results. So I don't use those anymore. But uh, learning coping tools was, is really important on, on all of our journeys, not just the mental health journey, but all of us. You know, we come into the world and and unlike the bird who already knows how to make the nest and hatch eggs and, and fly south for the winter, we don't we don't have a roadmap. We we and and if we were unfortunate enough to have a dysfunctional family, like most of us have, we were left not knowing, not having the tool belt to to take on life's storms. And so it's really important to be able to seek help to get the tool belt, to get the toolkit that says, hey, when this is happening, I can do this. So, Definitely. yeah, I encourage people to, to, you know, broaden, broaden the tools they have for coping in life. Hasn't COVID taught us that? We need better tools? Like, yeah. Definitely. COVID hey, taught us quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. I was just looking at this image on my screen I brought up. is uh, an image that was made during an interview with you. It's my avatar taken oh. by Navi. Yes. I'm gonna, can I screen share? Is it possible? Please. On yeah, it's fantastic. Mark? I'm just going to briefly screen share. Now, Brian, uh, screen sharing tips. Oh, I don't need that. I just need to. Do we have to turn on screen share, Ryan? So uh, far, I've got it. Should be. Let me see. I don't know. Screen yeah, I've never screen shared from my moments. side, but I know people can do it I got on it. here. So. Got it. There cool. you go. So this image. Mm -hmm. was taken by Navi, a friend of ours, who uh, a former employee of Henry's. Uh, current, a friend actually. Of ours. Yeah, she's still she's oh, still current again. Yeah. Yeah, she's she on came back after and uh, just possibly coming back. Okay. Yeah. So Brian and, and Navi invited me to talk about my mental health journey. Uh, tell us about that event, Brian. What was that? Well, that was called Faces of Hope. Let's see if I can get this to focus. There here. it is. Yeah, grab faces it. of hope. Yep. Um, okay. It Navi. It was actually all Navi's idea, and she started talking about it at the store, and I overheard her talking about it. How this is a personal mission. We had the studio, the loft studio at the time, and uh, this was a personal journey that she wanted to do. And I, I 
pretty much begged her to be a part of it. Uh, it was my first experience dealing with anything to do with mental health. Um, it was the time I realized that I may not be uh, totally okay. I may actually have yeah. some thought issues or things that I need to think about. Yeah. Um, and talking to the people like yourself and to Julie and to Alex and some of the other people that were involved uh, really opened my eyes to the struggles. And it's not just you know people that look a certain way or act a certain way. It's everybody that's dealing with things and how, yeah, it was great. Anyway, we, uh, we took these portraits of the folks that we interviewed. We had, I believe had eight or nine people we interviewed. And then we gave you the portraits and we also asked for photos, uh, donations. And yes. um, we had auctioned those off at this big uh, event that we held where we showed everybody the portraits and auctioned off all of the photos, all of them down the hallway of our studio. And uh, we raised some money for the Cam H, I think it was, that we donated that to. But yeah. um, money the conversation. The two most important things, right? Right. And we had a really good turnout for that. Rob Como uh, was there. He's yeah. a movie producer. And there was a lot of uh, really amazing people that came up 45 steps to the Lost Studio that day for our big event. Yeah. And it was, it was yeah. a very proud moment for me. I was so glad I was a part of it. And, uh, you know, just not just raising the money, but like you say, raising the awareness. And, and even in me, like I had no idea that I would benefit so much from being a part of something like that. And uh, that was that was what triggered the whole me thinking that, OK, yeah, mental health is something that everybody has to think about. And that's yeah, why it's a big important. part of this podcast. And that's why it's been a big part of mm -hmm. what I've done since. I, yeah, I'd say it affects almost everyone. And the reason I bring this up is because when I, I I'm going to pull this back to photography. Um, when I brought that portrait home in the frame and uh, I put it up and my wife walked in and she looked at it and she said, she said, that's, that's like going up like, we, we, like that. She, she said, that is the best portrait I've ever seen taken of you. Wow. That's awesome. And, and the reason that I think that that session succeeded is because before we took that picture, you you asked me to tell my story. We did a video so I'm, interview. I'm yeah. in, in the story of the mental health journey and recovery, our ability to tell stories. And that was the catalyst to me being okay with talking about my journey in public. Hmm. Before that, I was reserved. I wouldn't own the title, you know, the bipolar photographer. I didn't want to own that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to attach my journey to my profession because of the stigma around it. And this, this was literally the catalyst to move I me in. in didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, so I thought I'd share that. That's amazing. And the, it also helped informed how I want to photograph others. And I always say, I don't want to take a picture of what you look like. I want to take a picture of who you are. And uh, that informs everything I do now with my photography. If it's a landscape, if it's a polar bear, or if it's a person, I don't just want to take a picture of what something looks like. I want to take a picture of what it is. What's mm -hmm. the essence? What's the, what's the character behind it? And that's the tie in for my mental health journey to my photography journey. And you were very instrumental in inviting me to that event. That's great. That's, yeah. that's awesome. And, and one of the things that I'm, I've always thought of is I think is um, a good human is that we should always be helping everybody around us raise up, whether you're trying to or not, um, just by the deeds that you do, if that influences people in a positive way, that's all we can really ask for. So that's awesome, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So Ryan, uh, anything to share? I was kind of curious myself, honestly, when you mentioned early on that you were obviously medicating or trying to cope using alcohol, were there any early signs for you that were Looking back, you can say, I should have tried to get a diagnosis earlier. Things that maybe you could pass on to help somebody that could be in that spot now. Um, let me do a poll. What is the average amount of time it takes in Canada for somebody who first recognizes they have a mental health problem to getting an accurate diagnosis of bipolar disorder? What do you think the time frame is? Could be anything from... I would think a couple of years more than if I were to take a guess on it, but I honestly wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. The, the average eight, is eight, eight years for me was about 10 years. 
Okay. From when I was first diagnosed with an issue, being treated for depression, attention deficit disorder, uh, different things, different medications, trying different modalities, to that day when I was hospitalized and the ensuing accurate diagnosis from a very, very smart uh, psychiatrist. So that's essentially the, why you put such an emphasis on accurate diagnosis. Yes. Because it, was, it wasn't that that's you right. didn't, you waited so long to try and get a diagnosis that you had to go no. through so many. Yeah. And in, in fact, what happened, I had, a, I had a, an issue with addiction very young. Like I, I mentioned, I came from a very dysfunctional family. And um, the outcome of that was a tendency toward addictions and, and seeking uh, painkiller. You know, uh, you, you, you try to cover up the pain of your past through different behaviors instead of uh, treatment or instead of tools. So uh, alcohol was the, the, the primary drug I chose to self-medicate with. What's interesting is I hadn't drank for quite a while when I was finally hospitalized. In fact, my whole life looked like I had everything I should have. I had quit smoking, I had quit drinking, you know, I was on a, on a, on a good path. My family was coming back together after some, some serious tension. Uh, all my kids were here, like everything looked right, but it kept going down. And it just, right. the spiral, I couldn't get out of the spiral. And that's when I knew there was something far deeper than I could deal with going on. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's something that uh, I'm no stranger to. Obviously, we've talked about on the show before. Addiction is a very, very real, uh, a real animal to say the very least. So, yeah. And when we're using it as a, a substitute for treatment for another problem, uh, you know, we use a drug of choice, some alcohol, some other drugs, some use sex, some use work, you know, to avoid uh, the pain of facing other issues or being alone for any period of time quietly. <laughs> Thank you, COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, and, and one, but once we get that accurate diagnosis or understand that, that this is just a, a Band-Aid that's destructive, Mm -hmm. Then we can seek out treatment to overcome that. Um, today, I, I'm really like I am overwhelmed on a daily basis with how fortunate I am. I know not everybody gets to come to the other side of this journey the way I have, and and um, that doesn't fall on me quietly. It 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 it's deeply affected me. For instance, I can spend long periods of time quietly by myself quite contentedly now. Um, and I, I think for a lot of people, that's very difficult. Uh, I get to go on quite these, a bit of work. Um, you know, it, it probably did, but but I, I live in a place of gratitude. I don't think about the work it took, but I accept that I'm here now. Um, you, you know, I get to do some pretty incredible things, but the most important thing that that I have or can do is to be a father, a husband and grandfather, to invest in the people around me, in, in my own family. That's the most important thing I could do. The highest calling for a person, whether be it a man or a woman, I think is parenthood and, and grandparenthood and being healthy enough to help them through their struggles. And Very so, well said. Yeah. Very well said. Um, one of the things that we do um, around this time in a show is we ask for our guests to give a challenge, to give uh, to issue a challenge to our viewers. It doesn't have to be a photo challenge. It could be a personal challenge. It could be anything. You know, some kind of thing that you think might be to better somebody's situation in life. Have we asked um, you the question earlier, and you said let you think about it. Um, <laughs> So you've had a little time. Uh, have, you, have you been able to think of a challenge? Like the way I see it, mental health is real. Everybody's going through something. We all have mm -hmm. triggers. We all have to learn how to, you know, handle our triggers and so on. But photography, at least for three of the four of us right now in the panel, has been something that's really helped us with our mental health burdens, I'm sure. Um, but as far as a challenge goes, my mind instantly goes to a photography thing. It doesn't have to be about that. Have you got anything in mind that you'd like to issue? Yes, I do. So um, everything reminds me of a story. So this reminds me of a story. 
So I'm just going to give you a little brief story. My wife loves to take pictures. She takes thousands of pictures, sometimes of the same thing <laughs> on the same day. <laughs> she loves to look through the viewfinder. When she started to experience this love for photography, she would get my hand-me-down Nikon cameras, which had the little green A on top, called a green auto. And she would never let me teach her photography because she thought whenever I was trying to tell her about f-stops and apertures, I was yelling at her. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's just the dynamic of a husband and wife. I don't believe I ever actually was yelling at her, but my tone may have been condescending. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uncontrollable sometimes. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's passion. so we simple. Call that passion. We call it passion. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I have that... an experience that will relate to this a little bit. Um, yeah. After you're done, I want to kind of share yeah, hold, story. hold it in your hand there, because I'm going to get to the challenge, because what happened was as my wife started showing me her pictures, she started producing some really unusual and wonderful results. And I thought, you don't know an f-stop from a bus stop, and you're getting <laughs> these amazing pictures. And so me being the technician, you know, is like, no, you got to know your f-stop, and you got to know your ratios, and you got to know, you know, uh, all, all these things. And uh, it turns out that the most valuable lesson I could have learned was well, learning your tool well is important as a professional. You can make incredible results by gluing your face to the viewfinder and taking pictures in auto. So the challenge is what I call auto yoga. So you'll understand why I call it auto yoga after you do this and your muscles hurt. But here's the challenge I'm giving you. Take your camera and put it on the automatic mode you're most comfortable with. Yeah, use autofocus and whatever, but, but take it off manual, even take it off maybe aperture, maybe put it on P for professional program and, <laughs> and put it maybe on the green auto. The trouble with the green auto is the flash will pop up when there's low light, whereas if it's on the P on a Nikon, the flash will stay down. Which and by the way, P does not mean do. professional. It means program mode, Ryan, just so you know. Okay, so perfect. He was, okay. he was yeah. joking with that one. <laughs> I'm joking. It doesn't, yeah. There is no professional mode. I would have left this conversation with a whole batch of bad knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I have to clear things up put, put your camera on automatic. Glue your face to the eye finder or the LCD screen and go out with the intention to take photos. But this is the, the unique part of the challenge. When you see something, let's say you see a duck, stop and take a picture, but don't stop there. Then just think to yourself, now, how can I change my angle of view or perspective and take another one? and then change your angle of view or perspective and take another one. And start rinse and repeating this until you get closer or you zoom in or you go wide or you get low or you lie on the ground, you shoot through the grass, you shoot through the branches, you get close enough that it pecks your lens. By the way, I have a picture of a penguin eating my 16 millimeter lens, nice. lying on the ground doing this exercise. So uh, what I want you to do is take a picture of that one thing until it's absolutely sick of you. So you wanna take a lot of pictures, you know, 20, 50, 100, I don't care what it takes. And then when, when it and you are so sick of taking pictures of every conceivable angle, move on to something else. It might be a unique tree. So you see the tree, stop, take a picture, grab the first image, but then stop and think about a different angle. Think about a different perspective take another picture and do that again and rotate that through until the tree is slapping you in the face saying, stop taking pictures of me. <laughs> that nice. exercise alone, getting your head off of settings, off of technology, off of the science of photography and paying attention to the shapes in your viewfinder will do more for your photography than you can imagine. Awesome. And the people who resist this most will benefit most from it. I love it. Of course, nice. as soon as you mentioned tree, my first thought goes to the caterpillars and tree that are killing everything right now. I'm going to end up taking a thousand pictures of caterpillars. I just know. Yeah, well, that's going to happen. <laughs> Put your macro lens on and yeah, open exactly. Don's book. 
<laughs> Aurora, you had a thought when I started talking about that. Yeah, it, it has nothing to do with photography, but you had mentioned uh, when you try to teach your wife settings on a camera um, that it seems like she's yelling. Uh, you're, uh, it seems like to her you're yelling at her. Yeah. Um, I have a very similar experience with my boyfriend who is uh, I've been with for 11 years. We live together and everything. Um, and he has tried so many times to teach me how to drive standard. Oh. <laughs> and every time, it just, and not every time, almost every time, it ends up being a very stressful situation. And I know yeah. it, his directions and everything are very well-meaning, but it does feel like, you know, that, that, uh, that yelling or the, okay, you're, like the panic kind of thing because you know it's something that uh from the perspective of maybe someone like your wife in this situation when you don't know how to do something and you're having someone tell you how to do something while you're doing it uh it, that can be a bit of a stressful situation oh it's easy to get flustered it's very easy to get flustered <laughs> especially when you're talking about a four thousand dollar transmission repair yeah yeah so yeah. when you said this, this made me laugh because i immediately thought of that he's yeah. he's not yelling but it just feels like it because it's yeah. all stress yeah. ron how were you able to teach your wife photography then well i didn't well who did you did oh that's right i did <laughs> yeah. so she took a course to finish that story she took a course at henry's and she would come home and she said there's this guy brian and he explained everything and i understand it so I was like, "Wow, good, good on him." Yeah. So Aurora, maybe I, I really appreciate that. Oh no, problem. yeah, it's awesome. But Brian, Brian has a way of explaining things that just made sense to her, um, and uh, yeah, so layman's terms is how I roll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, Ron, thank you so much, man. This has been a great conversation. I've only got two more questions for you, unless Ryan, Aurora, you have anything else you'd like to ask first. I'm not I in my have, element. He seems on top of his game. <laughs> yeah, I have, a, I have one question for you. How did you find um, creativity or photography in the first place? Okay, like, because so you had mentioned. When first, I'm going to answer that in two parts. Okay. I didn't find creativity. Okay. I believe in, 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 <laughs> from the bottom of my heart that creative is who you are not what you become. It's true. We don't have to teach kids to be creative. They're imaginative, they play games, they pretend, they color, they go outside the box, they go outside the lines, they build forts, they play house. You don't need to be taught to be creative. That's true. So creative is who you are. We do need to make a decision to nurture it yeah. through education, through mentoring, through going to school, courses, just pulling out your colored pencils, you know, and doing it. But we are creative. I discovered photography. I got one of these little Instamatic, Kodak Instamatic. They're, they're horizontal and you, you wind them like, do you remember this, Brian? The Kodak 110. 110. That was the first camera yeah, I had. Yeah. Kodak 110. And uh, I don't know, my, my grandmother. Everybody has to do this when box. I talk about the Kodak 110. You always have to do this. You got to do that. You got <laughs> to push the film advance. So you get 12 or 24 pictures and uh, my grandmother gave me this camera and then they went to the corner store and bought me a 24 picture little cartridge you stick in and I went down to the local park and uh, there's this big field and this squirrel playing and I, I started, I took a picture and I, I can, in the back of my head, I could hear my dad, you know, uh, don't take so many pictures, you know, don't. and so in a matter of 10 minutes, I'd taken all 24 pictures and in my mind, I had the next cover of National Geographic. Oh my God, this is of so this funny. squirrel. I was I was that guy, you know, you know that picture in my mind is this 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 uh, this this kid taking pictures of this squirrel romping around the field, and I and I, I brought it home and we sent it in and we wait. You know, I had to wait. I didn't even get to see the pictures in the back of the camera, and of course. <laughs> I, I I opened up the package. It came and I opened up the package and I pulled out the pictures and I. I looked and I looked and I looked and I was like, where is the squirrel? <laughs> it was this fuzzy black dot in, in the middle because what my mind was seeing was not what the camera was taking. It had a big wide angle lens. I was in the middle of a huge field and it was a hundred feet away. Oh, 
<laughs> I'm laughing because I did the exact same thing. I was in Vermont. <laughs> I was in Vermont and I was in my backyard and there was a squirrel in the tree. And I thought, great picture of a squirrel. And of course you get it back and there's trees. Where's the squirrel? Yeah, it's yeah. one time zoom on that thing. I think it's a little slider yeah. on the top. <laughs> was, oh, that, so was, that was my first experience with photography. And you would think I would have been crushed in my soul and spirit, uh, you know, but although I was, I was crushed, but uh, later in, in life, um, in high school, I'd, I'd taken all the art courses I could. I was going to be the next Robert Bateman. I'm a painter and an illustrator. That's how I started. And so in school, I ran out of art courses to take. And the only course I could take was a grade 10 and 11 photography class. And my brother said, you should take this class. And I said, yeah, but that's not real art. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> live and learn, live and learn. Uh, I, uh, I fell in love with the 35 millimeter camera, the dark room, processing prints, portrait photography, nature photography, landscape photography. I could not get enough. And so I, 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 at high school, by the time I was done high school, I was already shooting for money. I was being paid and uh, I was doing weddings and I was doing portraits. And I, I wasn't at first a real nature photographer. After that experience with the squirrel, I kind of let go of the dream of being a Nat Geo guy. You know? <laughs> it's all the squirrel's and, uh, fault. <laughs> but did, did come back to it later after building a portfolio of winter images that got me trips to the polar regions that reinvigorated my love for wildlife photography as well. That that's that's the story. It was uh, I I had to kind of eat crow and realize that the camera was like my paintbrush, Photoshop is my studio, and that was the art I was born to make. Love it. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I All always right. love hearing the backstories. <laughs> it's true, yeah. and I always pick up little things too. Like, there's so many different things. Like you talk about wildlife and stuff like that. I remember being at a birds of prey workshop with you there, <clears throat> when the hawks were flying right between you and moving all over the place. It's just yeah. it's such a rush when you get into the a good moment with wildlife. Uh, but yeah, it's, you can't see it everywhere, so you, you find other things to shoot. Yeah, always yeah. good. I mean, you, I think everybody can always appreciate a good photo of wildlife. Yeah, to some degree. Okay, back to the last two questions. Um, the first of the two last two questions is, what's your jam? What song do you listen to that just gets you up, gets you excited, gets you working, uh, that you can always rely on to make you feel good, that you every time you put it on, you can't skip past it? Do you have one of those? Oh, I've got a few, you know? Sitting at the dock of the, by the dock of the bay is one of them. You know, in the late spring, when that first warm day hits, if I don't play that song, Mm-hmm. And I go, I, I, I spend a lot of my time up on Georgian Bay. And, and when I was a kid, I associated that song with sitting at the dock by the bay. I thought they were talking about Georgian Bay. Well, they were. I didn't know it was San, San Francisco Bay. But, oh, uh, I didn't know that. I thought it was. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that song or um, uh, the Doobie Brothers. Um, uh, oh, Backwater. Yeah. Uh, Bright. Backwater. Uh, uh that song um just just grooves just grooves in my mind i you know in my this is a you know here's something you didn't know about ron <laughs> i wake up with songs in my head and in this season in my life i wake up with praise songs in my head and they're with me all day long if it, it, uh, i uh i help out with the, the tech at church and i do live streaming and i'm always listening to the worship team and i'm always listening to worship music and i literally wake up with songs in my head and they stay with me all day long and it's different songs throughout the day different song every morning and that's been going on for a number of years every single morning a new song is in my mind so hmm. i mean I'm, yeah. it's interesting I, I know you've been a part of your church and doing things but this is yeah. the first time in our conversation that anything about faith and anything about religion came up interesting i'm not shy to talk about my faith and I associate it quite frequently to my journey of recovery. Um, and sometimes a door opens where I feel permission to speak quite freely about my faith, about my Lord, and about the journey of faith that helped my recovery. And other times, it's just a conversation 
and it's implied. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a direct, it's not a direct, I mean, get me going. I can preach, but, <laughs> you know, but oh, it, doesn't, we're only it doesn't always come up. Two minutes away from the end of the show. So maybe next time. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's great though. Yeah. I mean, I, I believe in faith. I'm, I may not be a religious person, but I certainly believe that you have to have faith if it's not in yourself, but in some sort of power to give you strength. And everybody uh, should have the right to believe in whatever strength that is that gets them going. Um, and I, and I, I know you well enough to know that when you use religion, you're using it for the strength and the the community and for the, the, I just had so many situations with religion in the past, you know, um, all different religions. Yeah, re- religion. The, you know, the trouble with religion is here, I'll, I'll, I'll preach a little bit. The trouble preach. with religion is it's full of broken people doing broken things. The whole world is, but because it's in the name of religion and under the umbrella uh, very often of, of Christ or the church, we hold it to a higher account and, and we should, but it's held to a higher regard. So when we're let down, we're really let down. Because these people should be doing the right things. And Yeah, it's the, the whole this, this ought to be this way and it's not. Yeah. But it's also a reflection of the truth that we live in a fallen and broken world and we all need some kind of redemption. If I had to rely solely on my power and myself, I would probably, oh, end up in the hospital. Mm. And so there's something outside myself, outside my internal reality that gives me a standard to strive toward that saved my life. Because in the end, when we discover we're not all it and we don't have enough, we need something outside ourselves to hang on to. And that's faith. That's, to me, that's true religion. So I preached. I like that. that. That makes perfect sense. Okay, last question, and then we will let you go. Thank you again. Uh, last question is tools of the trade. So you know, in our world of photography, you find you know all these highfalutin photographers opening up their camera bags and saying, "What's in my bag?" Videos and all these things. Tools of the trade isn't like that. Tools of the trade is what one thing do you rely on day in and day out that makes you a more complete photographer, gives you what you need to, or just more complete person, just to do what you need to do. Is there one? I see you're still trying to turn this into a photography show. I see what you're doing over here, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Ron, if you watch our past episodes, every time there's a photographer on, I I always feel bad for Ryan because it's kind of out of his element. But, uh, and I I always go back to enough material today that wasn't about photography. It's true. We're pretty good. Um, But what tool of the trade would you say is your most important tool? Do you know what tool it is? I, I, I will not hesitate. Questions. Mm. What if? I think Don talks about that question too. What if? If you can answer it, the question, what if, as you shoot or as you grow or, or as you learn, you will always be a student. You'll always strive toward higher levels of mastery. And so the best tool you have is to ask good questions. Love it. Beautiful. Thank you. I love that too. I ask so many questions about so many different yeah. things, especially in relation to work or project uh, that's coming up. Um, and mm. often I'm hesitant to ask so many questions because I think there's a lot of people out there who might get annoyed with so many questions, but I need to know. Like I need to have that... Um, uh, that uh background um so yeah yeah, it's very important to me well our awesome stuff uh ryan y'all good oh yeah sorry Uh, i was uh reacting to a a horrible goal (laughs) oh yeah ryan's watching the the canadians game (laughs) which leads me to cast going on here (laughs) (laughs) leads me to uh the next part of our show which is saying goodbye to everybody um ron Thank you so much one last time for being a part of this conversation. Uh, I hope you had a decent time. We had a great time having you here. Um, I always learn something and feel better after I talk to you. So I'm gushing again. Uh, Auroran, Aurora, Aurora, Aurora. That's her elfin name. Her elfin yeah. name, Aurora. Uh, I actually play D&D. 
There you go. Yeah. So, That's a new yeah, character I mean, name for you. That could be a new name. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add before we say goodbye? Um, no, actually, I'm. This is a, was a really great conversation, and I just want to thank Ron for coming on, and uh, I really appreciate your sharing. And yeah. Awesome. Ryan, anything you'd like to add? Also, I, I really want to thank you, Ron, for coming on. This was very eye-opening for me. It's nice to, I always enjoy the conversation of people that have struggled and been able to come out on top and are willing to share their stories as well, because I think that's what a lot of people need. Anyone that's struggling, it always helps hearing from somebody else that's been able to come out on top of it, even when we still struggle with, with a daily basis. So again, thank you so much for coming mm -hmm. on. And that is literally why we do this podcast, because we're struggling, everybody's struggling, and we thought that there could be something that we could offer to give somebody a tool. And I think we've done that tonight. Uh, just to remind everybody who's watching, if you are struggling with your mental health, there are a lot of places that can help you. I know Aurora and I are big advocates of the Henry's Foundation for Mental Health, but they donate the money they collect to places like CAMH and Kids Help Phone. So reach out if you need some help. Um, see if you can get some help from somebody. And uh, if you need help from us, go ahead right and ask us. Uh, communicate with us, expressions at gmail expressions the podcast at gmail.com. You can contact us anytime. And that's about it. All right, guys. Thank you, everybody who is here. Thank you, everybody who is watching. And we hope you have a fantastic week. Take care. See you. Later.